Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We are honored that you took the time to be here to listen to this message. We are in the middle of a series called Fake News. What we are doing is we are learning to distinguish between fact and fiction. We hope this series has been helpful so far. So here's part three. Sit back, relax, enjoy. We're, uh, we're in the book of Romans, Romans chapter eight this morning. If you guys have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, you can follow along. If, uh, if you're part of my small group, you now have the Bible app, so you know exactly what we're doing. Uh, Romans chapter 8, that's where we're going to be this morning. It says this, starting in verse 38, he says, I am convinced that nothing, someone shout nothing, nothing. can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, somebody, say amen. 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 I, was, I heard this week this guy said something. He said, you know what makes a good prayer meeting? It's when you pray. He said, you know what makes a good worship service? It's when you worship. And he said, you know what makes a good word? It's when you respond. And so I want to encourage you guys this morning, as we're speaking, uh, realize God is speaking to us. And so if there's something you want to respond to, if you want to get loud, if you want to clap your hands, I'm giving you permission. You guys okay with that? I'm just giving you permission. If you like it, if you feel like God's speaking, you say, yeah. Just say, yeah, and just clap your hands, because the best way to make a preacher feel welcome at his own church is to let him know that God is speaking. Uh, I heard a story this week. This is a true story. I know we're in fake news. This is a true story I'm telling you right now. Um, story about a man, and uh, this man, uh, one day he was perfectly healthy. Perfectly healthy, nothing wrong. And uh, over the course of a couple of weeks, his health began to deteriorate rapidly. It got so bad that his family decided to take him to the hospital because they didn't know what was wrong with him. And when he was in the hospital, the doctors, they ran test after test. And what they found was that nothing physically was wrong with this guy. Yet, day after day, his health got worse and worse and worse. And he literally got to the point of death. And doctors were baffled. They couldn't figure out what was going on, what was happening. And so in the midst of a conversation that this man had with the doctor, he said, doctor, I need to tell you something. He said, I haven't told you the whole story. I haven't told you the whole truth. He said, a few weeks back, I actually went and I visited a witch doctor. And things didn't go so well with this witch doctor. And this witch doctor put a spell on me. And in this spell, he planted eggs in my stomach, lizard eggs. And what happened, what the witch doctor told me is that when the eggs hatch, the lizard will begin to eat me from the inside out. And so the man heard the story. The doctor heard what the man was saying, and, and he was listening, and, and he was dumbfounded. And, and so he went home that night, and he thought to himself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this man? And so what he did, he devised a plan. And he came back the next day, and uh, he told his nurse what he was going to do. And so he came into the room, and he said, well, I think we have a solution. I think we have a way that we can fix what's wrong with you. And so what the man, what the, the doctor did, he told his nurse to fill up a large, uh, a large needle with an uh, emetit, emet, something that makes you puke. Is that how you say it? I'm looking at my medical people over there. It's a thing that makes you puke, and you attach it to an IV. And so the doctor said, nurse, 
attach it. Do it up. And so as soon as the IV was attached, this man began to puke uncontrollably. He was just vomiting and he was vomiting. It was at this point that the doctor started to put his plan in place. And what he did, what in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the puking, when no one was looking, he pulled out a small lizard from his doctor's coat. And after the man was puking, the doctor exclaimed. He said, look, look what came out. It's a lizard. And the man, as he looked at the lizard and he looked at the doctor, he passed out. When he awoke the next day, to everyone's surprise, he was energetic, he was vibrant, and he was full of life. And within a matter of weeks, his health was back to normal, and he was released from the hospital. Now, I this is a true story. It's, I read it, uh, it's from a book, and it's actually in the midst of a bunch of stories that are similar to this. But for those who didn't understand the story, there was never actually a lizard in this man's stomach. He just believed that it was there, and so his belief actually changed his, his physical being. He thought something was there, and so he was actually physically being sick. And the book is called The God-Shaped Brain. And, and, and the purpose of these studies, and it showed another study where a man thought, he thought that he had cancer, and he actually died. And in his autopsy, it revealed he actually hadn't got cancer yet. And the points of these stories would show the power of the brain, the power of our minds, this idea that if we believe something, it can actually physically alter our bodies. The conclusion was a lie can embed itself so deep inside of us, our bodies physically cannot begin to distinguish between what is true and what is false. And as I read that, I agreed, because for one thing, I'm extremely squeamish. And I remember Christy, my wife, she's a nurse, and she had these nursing exams called OSCEs. I don't know what that stands for, um, but in those things, you have to pretend that you're working on a patient. And so Christy asked me one day, she's like, can I uh, just practice on you? And I was like, okay. Sure, I'll take a, f <laughs> never mind. <laughs> but she was like, she was like, can I practice you? So we started practicing in her room, and she's like, okay, you have to be this patient, and you have to pretend that you're sick, and I'm going to poke you and touch you. And, and it was really weird. In the midst of this, I literally started to feel ill. And I kind of started to get clammy and sweaty. And, and the first time I was on her bed, I didn't think that would happen. But I, I was literally like, I was literally at the point where I was going to pass out. And I was like, Chris, I can't do this anymore. I'm not feeling well. I'm just, I'm extremely squeamish. And what's crazy is just showing the power of our minds. Something doesn't actually have to be true. We just have to believe it to be true. And our bodies can physically change. You see, we're, we're in week three of our series, Fake News, and what we are doing in this series is we are trying to expose the lies that we live by. You see, every single one of us, every single day, we are bombarded with information, bombarded with facts, and we have a difficult time distinguishing between what is true and what is false. And we've looked at lies every week, and, and every single week we've been uh, contrasting these lies with truth. Lies like our differences have to divide us. Lies like the church doesn't really matter. But what's interesting is those lies, as powerful as they are, I don't think they are as powerful as the lies that we believe about ourselves. I think in life the most powerful lies that we believe are the lies about ourselves. Because the lies about ourselves have the ability and the power to actually physically change us. They have the power to physically change us. The, the reason that I told you guys these stories, I don't believe anyone in here has a lizard in their stomach I hope not. 
But what I do believe to be true is that every single one of us in this room have believed something about ourselves in the past. Maybe we believe something about ourselves in the present that simply is not true. And the crazy thing about whatever that is that we believe about ourselves, it doesn't actually have to be true in order for us to be changed. We just have to believe it. You see, I have a belief that we live in a time and a culture where like never before people believe things about themselves that are not true. People believe things about, about their value, about their worth, about, about their self-esteem that are not true. You see, every single week, what we want to do is we want to present a truth, a lie, I should say, and we want to contrast that with what we believe is truth. Our truth, we believe, comes from the Bible. But so many people, so many people walk around every single day believing lies about themselves. I, was, I read a study this week, and it was a study with millennials, and in the study, 70% of the people in this study checked off, and they said, I am not good enough. I struggle with feelings of not being good enough. And when I read that, I, I was so saddened and so shocked because I was thinking to myself, how bad do you have to feel about yourself on a test to say, I'm not good enough? Because if it was me, I'd just lie if I didn't feel good enough. But, but as people, self-esteem is so low, our self-worth, our self-image is so low, 70% of people on that survey said, I don't feel like I'm good enough. 78% of females in that survey said, I don't feel pretty enough. An overwhelming majority of people in that survey said, I don't have enough money. And, and what happened in the conclusion that that survey came to was that the overwhelming majority of people today don't feel like they are enough. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the lie we're looking at today. It's a simple lie. The lie simply says this. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, it does not matter if this is a lie. All that matters is if you believe that it's true. Because if you believe that it's true, then it's no longer a lie to you. You see, so many of us, we believe these lies, and these lies are, are so deep inside of us, they're so deep down and embedded in us that we are living with it. Many of us have been living with this lie for years. And it's affected us in our relationships. It's affected us in how we see ourselves, our self-esteem, our self-worth. And so the lie says, I'm not enough. Prince, can I get the slide up there? Is it working? It says, I am not enough. But what I want to do today is I want to contrast that with what we believe is the truth. And here's what the, tr the truth is. The truth says this, we are more than enough. We are more than enough. That is the truth that I want us to see today. That's the truth that I want us to get to. You see, when it comes to this idea of worth, when it comes to this idea of value, it manifests itself in different ways. For some of us, it comes through in self-esteem, in self-worth, in our image. But it's funny, for those of us who grew up in church world, who have grown up in church, a lot of times our self-worth and our self-things are directly related to God. And a lot of times it can even be in a negative. And you guys can... can, can can let me know if you've ever felt this way before, but if you've been in church before, there's this idea that God is so good and I'm not. This idea that the God is up here and there's nothing that I could do to ever measure up, that, that God looks down on me and God judges me and God doesn't like what he sees and when I mess up, God is just sitting there and he's thinking to himself, you are not enough. And for so many people, and if you're in this room this morning, you have this image and this idea of a God that looks down on you and a God that says you are not enough. 
However, I'm, I'm not sure that there are many people in this room that believe that because the majority of people that, that have this image and have this idea that God believes that they are not enough, they actually aren't in church anymore. They've left church. They've left God. They've left religion because they've, they've believed this idea about God that God does not think that they are worthy, that the God does not think that they are good enough. And so they think to themselves, why would I even try? Why should I even show up? I'm not enough. I'm not enough. What I want us to understand this morning is that that is a lie. The results are in that is a lie. And so this morning, I want us to get down to the truth. And the truth is this, you are more than enough. You are valued, you are loved, and God feels the exact same way. In fact, God feels that way even more so. And so I don't want you to take my word for it because my word is just my word. What we're doing in this series is we are looking at what God actually says. You're thinking to yourself, how do I know what God says? We have the Bible uh, here at Kingdom Church. We believe that the Bible, although written by humans, is fully inspired by God. We believe it's God's word. And so what I want us to see is not what I think of you, but let's see what God thinks about us. We're going to be in a book in the New Testament called Romans. The book of Romans was written by a man named Paul. If you were here last week, we read another book by a man named Paul. If you've been here for a while, you're like, you talk about Paul a lot. Uh, Paul wrote over half the New Testament, so that's why we hear from him a lot. And uh, the book we're reading today is the book of Romans. Before we read our verse, I want to give us a little context about what we are reading. Romans chapter 7 we're going to be in chapter 8. Uh, it's stuck in between. Romans, the book of Romans, is one of the most theologically rich books in the entire Bible. It's dense. There's a lot going on. And so in Romans 7, Paul is writing to a group of new Christians. And at this time, the church, it's early, and so most people are new Christians. And what Paul realizes is that a lot of people don't actually know how to live in this new form of Christianity. And so he's writing them a letter, and he's trying to explain how things go. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul is writing to them, and he's writing about the quintessential Christian struggle. The struggle every Christian person will ever go through. And the struggle is this. When God comes into our lives, God will change us. Somebody say amen. When God comes into our life, he has to change us. Yet what happens in the midst of us being changed, a lot of times we still mess up. Any of you guys ever been there? It's like we, we let God into our life. Maybe we raise our hands and we say, I, I let you into my life. God, be my, be my Savior, be my Lord. But then we still fall short. But then we still sin. But then we, we still drink too much. Maybe we, we still swear too much. Maybe we still do this a little bit too much. And a lot of us were caught in this battle. And let me know if you guys have been in this battle. It's the battle between what I know I should do and what I end up doing. That's where a lot of us get caught. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. And the Apostle Paul, one of the guys that wrote the whole or half of the New Testament, he says that even he himself gets caught in that struggle. He's writing to them. He's like, man, you know what? I've realized something in life. He's like, I know what I don't want to do, but I do it anyways. He's like, it really sucks and it really annoys me. And that's what he's writing to the Christians about. Because he's right and he's saying, I, I, I know where you guys are at. You're following Jesus now and you think you should be holy. You think you should be just, but you're still kind of falling short. And so understand this, in the Christian life, in the Christian walk, God's hope and God's purpose for us is not to fall short forever. There's a process of sanctification, there's a process where he makes us better, where we are better today than we are yesterday. But for so many of us, what happens in our walk, what happens in our journey, and for a lot of people that have left church, that have left God, 
They've messed up. They've fallen short in their journey. And so they have this image of a God that looks down on them and, and, down on them and condemns them and says, you're not worthy. I thought you're following after me. We're done here. It's over. And Paul knows that's what our human nature tells us to do when we mess up. We feel like God will never use me again. God will never love me again. And so Paul is writing to a group of Christians. He's saying, no, 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 no. That is a lie. That's a lie. And he begins to tell the good news. And that's, that's where we're going to be today. And I hope you guys are ready to clap your hands today because there's a whole lot of good news coming today. But, but, but Paul says, that's a lie. That's not true. Here's what really happens. Jesus, God, he knows everything. He knows exactly what you have done. And he still chooses you. In fact, he brings you in for adoption. The word that, that Paul uses is adoption to, to make him your own. He makes us our own even though we mess up. And this is what he says, the very first verse I want us to read. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, he says, What shall we say about these things? He's like, how can I even describe this goodness of God? He says, I'll say it like this, about these wonderful things. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Listen to this. What we are doing in this, in this series, what we're doing today is we are diminishing and we are, and we are just getting rid of the lies that we believe. And one of the lies that we believe, and I know it connects so closely to spirituality, but the lie is I am not enough. But here's the truth. Here's what God says. Here's what Jesus says. Forget the voices in our head. Forget that soundtrack. Forget that narrative. Look what Jesus says. He says, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? So look at this. This is our first point. How do we begin to, 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 to put that lie to bed? How do we begin to believe the truth that I am enough? The first point is super simple. It's just this. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. You see, what research shows us, what those illustrations show us, is that if we begin to believe something, it does not matter if it's true or false. If you think of yourself as less than, if you think of God as a God that looks down and judges you and wants to just strike you with fire bolts and send you to eternal hell, if that is your picture of God, that will become truth for you. It doesn't matter if it's real. So what I'm saying, what we're saying, don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie that says, I'm not good enough. Buy the truth that God says, I am for you. You are chosen. You are not forsaken. I am who you, who I, you are who I say you are. I am who he says I am. That's the truth. And get this, I need us to see this because as a church, as a people, I don't want anyone to leave this place and, to, and feel like you are not enough. To walk around with your shoulders slumped, to walk and to leave this place with low self-esteem, low self-worth. Because get this, the king of the world, Jesus, God, says you are worthy. He says you are enough. And with someone like that in our corner, with someone like that on my team, I need to walk around a little bit taller. I need to walk around with a little bit more swagger. I remember when I was 15 years old, I played in a hockey team. And on this particular team, my team was like full of all like big dudes, big bad guys. Like they were just bad dudes. And uh, I don't know how I got on that team. And I'm not sure where those guys are now, probably serving time somewhere. But... <laughs> The crazy thing about that team, and this is, this is not a word of a lie, you can talk to my mom, it was her favorite season ever. Um, <laughs> like literally, like every game or two, like there'd be full brawls and full fights. And you have to understand something about minor hockey as opposed to like real hockey, you're not allowed to fight. If you fight, you get suspended. Uh, these guys did not care. They were looking for something, like if someone looked at them wrong, it was like, let's go. 
Like, let's drop the gloves. And so like every game or two, like there would be like brawls and it was, it was quite entertaining to be on their team. And the thing that was, that was cool about this team is like they were so big and they were so bad and they were looking to fight anyone. The ref didn't really matter. And <laughs> the thing about being on that team is when I'm on that team, I know those guys are with me. And so that season, like I kind of walked around a little bit taller. <laughs> it's like, I'll go into that corner because no one's going to touch me. I remember actually one game. I was coming over like center ice blue line and I got hit. Like I got laid out, I'm just gonna be honest. And uh, he kind of, guy kind of hit me in the head. I don't remember if it was clean or if it was dirty. All I know, I was mad. And uh, I was gonna get up and I was ready to do something about it. But literally like by the time like I was off the ice, there was like two guys already jumped that guy and <laughs> just like taking him out and <laughs> it was just ready to go. And you see <laughs> what happens is like when those guys are on your team, you know they got your back. And that does something for your self-confidence. That does something for your self-esteem. And so what Paul is trying to tell us here, he's saying, hey, guess what? God's on your team. He's saying, guess what? You got the biggest, you got the baddest dude on your team, and he's fighting for you. And so he says, if God is for you, who could be against you? He says, if God is for you, what does that negative voice in your mind have to say against you? Why are you looking at yourself like that? Why are you saying those things about yourself? Because every single time we say things, I'm not worthy, I'm not pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm not good, enough. We're, we're, we're minimizing, we're forgetting the fact that God is on our team. And more so than he's on our team, Paul says he's adopted us as his own. We are his children. Every time you feel like you're not worthy, you can say, hey, guess what? My dad's royalty. Every time you feel like you're not good enough, you can say, ma'am, my father, he formed me in my mother's womb with his own hands. You see, we need to understand these truths because so many of us, we live with lies. We're looking at Instagram for our, our validation. Looking at people liking our pictures for validation. It's like every 30 seconds, who like this picture? That's how we know if we're pretty. That's how we know if we're good enough. God says, no, 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 no. He says, I already told you what I think about you. I already showed you. He says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Look at this, verse, 30, uh, verse 32. It says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us any, everything else? Who dare accuse us? whom God has chosen his own. No one, for God himself, has given us right standing with himself. When I was formulating this message, uh, the, the point is don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. Originally, how I wrote it down, I wrote Satan is a liar. The devil is a liar. But I changed it after a while. But how I, how I came to this idea, this thought that the devil is a liar, it actually comes from verse uh, 33. It says, who dare accuse us? who dare accuses us. Something you need to understand about Satan and the devil in the Bible, and I don't talk about Satan and the devil a whole lot, and I'll tell you why in a second. But one thing you have to understand in the Bible when it says Satan, what that means is the accuser. That's what the word Satan means, is accuser. Accuser. He accuses. The very first time Satan shows up in Genesis chapter 3, he accuses God. He says, did God really say you can't eat any of these fruit? It was a lie. He accuses and so what, what Paul is doing here, he's giving a direct, uh, it's, a, it's a shadow, it's, a, it's something to bring our minds. He's saying, who dare accuses you? Because what the devil does in our life, what Satan does in our life is he accuses us. When we mess up, he says, you really think God's going to forgive you? When we look in the mirror, he says, do you really think that you're good looking? He says, do you really think, he accuses, he accuses, he accuses. And so the line that I came up with was, the devil is a liar. Because God says you're more than enough. Because the Bible says, if God is for me, who could be against me? 
But there's a reason that I didn't really use that line, and, and it's this, and I told you I don't talk about Satan a whole lot, and the reason is this. If you read the Bible from front to back, Satan doesn't actually show up that much. He's not really in it that much. You know why? Because the people in the Bible are people that are important. And understand this. People think Satan has all this great power. The only power that he has is the power that we give to him. Because on the cross at Calvary, he was defeated. The Lord crushed his head and he said, it's over. Come on. So I don't talk about the devil much because the devil has no power unless we give him power. And so the reason I said don't buy the lie is because the only power that he has over us is if we begin to believe lies about ourselves. If we believe we're not worthy, if we believe that we're not good enough. And so I love what Paul says. Paul says, who dare accuse you? Who dare say anything contrary to what Jesus has said about you? Who dare? No one. No one. In John, the book of John, there's, there's a lady and she's caught in adultery. And Jesus says, the person who has not sinned, let them cast the first stone. No one throws a stone at her. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, lady, he says, where are your accusers? There's no one. There's no one. No one dare accuse you. Friends, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you have done, but there's no one that can accuse you. No one that can tell you you are not worthy. No one that can tell you you are not good enough because Jesus has said that you are more than enough. He says he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. Is there anyone in this room that knows what the love language is? Dr. Gary Chapman. Um, my love language uh, is physical touch. Come on, somebody. Uh, physical touch and words of affirmation. Christy's love languages, uh, they're different than mine. Uh, one of hers is words of, or, sorry, acts of service, I should say. Did I say words of affirmation? That's me. Acts of service is her. And uh, I'm going to give you guys some relationship advice real quick. Just call me Dr. Gary Chapman. A lot of times in relationships, the reason that you feel like your partner doesn't love you is because they're loving you in their love language. And so we need to learn to love each other in each other's love languages. But this sermon is not about relationships. We'll talk in the lobby after if you guys want some more advice. I've been married two and a half years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but but Christy's, her, her love language uh, is acts of service. And that is not one of my love languages. But Christy, when she explains uh, acts of service, what she'll say, she'll say, don't just tell me you love me. Show me. Don't just tell me, show me. I'm like, how can I show you you're beautiful? I just got to tell you. But she's like, because with, with acts of service, it's like, don't just tell me, show me. Don't just tell me, show me. Listen, God has told us something. He says, if God is for you, who could be against you? He says, no one can accuse you. Those are words. And those are words that should make you feel good. They should make you feel better. But the thing that I love about Jesus, the love about God, is that God loves us full-heartedly. That God loves us on all fronts. He has his acts of service. He, I'm sorry, he has his words of affirmation. He has physical touch. That's when the Holy Spirit, that's when he comes into us. Maybe when we're worshiping, you kind of you feel something. That's God. That's God touching us. But the beauty of what I love about what Paul is saying here, and can we get the next verse up there as well, um, Prince? It's there. He says, who then will condemn us? No one. Jesus Christ died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Look at this, verse 32 as well. It says, he did not even spare his own son for us. 
We have words, but here we have the acts of service. You see what it's saying is if you don't believe these words, if you don't believe that you're loved, if you don't believe that you're worthy, I'm going to show it. I'm going to show you. That's what Jesus was here for. That's why Jesus, that's why God was incarnate in a little baby and the baby grew up and he became Jesus because what he was saying, he was saying, I am going to show them how much I love them. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send Jesus. And it says, Jesus died for us. He did not spare his own son for us. That's what he thinks about you. So listen to this. If there's anyone in this room, anyone listening to these words, if you feel like you're not good enough, if you feel like you'll never be enough, listen and understand, Jesus did not spare his son. He did it for you, and the reason he did it was because I'm going to prove it. They don't think they're worthy. They don't think they're valuable. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send Jesus. Then they'll know. Then they'll know. Paul then, he moves on and he asks a question. He says this. He says, who then will condemn us? He says, who then? Like, well, who's left? Who's left? <coughs> Romans 7, Romans 5, verse 7, I should say. I want to share this verse. I need to share this. Um, God proved it is, is the plan, is the point. God proved it. But Romans 5, verse 8, I love this verse. One of my favorite verses. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though a good person, someone might possibly die for. In other words, like, you know, if you love someone, if you got kids, maybe your husband, you'll, you'll die for them. We'll die for good people. But even then, it's, it's, it's rare. But he says, God demonstrates. In other words, God shows. In other words, God proved his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whatever you did last week, whatever that thing that, that is going through your mind that you feel like disqualifies you from being in God's service and being on God's team, what he's saying, he's saying in the midst of that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He proved it. Jesus proved it. Don't buy the lie, friends. Why? Because Jesus proved his love for you. He proved how valuable you are. He proved how worthy you are. And so I don't know what the voices in our heads are saying. I don't know what that narrative that is running through our mind is saying. But Jesus is saying, I proved it. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. And so, friends, this week, you don't need Instagram for validation. You don't. You don't need to go running back to that relationship that you keep running back to, that person that you keep running back to, that person that you keep going to for, for, for affirmation, for worth. You don't need to go to that person anymore. You don't need to look at others because Jesus says you're worthy. He says you're good enough, you're valuable, you're loved beyond belief. You're loved beyond belief. Paul asks a question. He says, can anything then, can anything can anything separate us from Christ's love? Prince, next verse. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? And he asks a question. The thing I love about Paul is Paul oftentimes asks what we're thinking. Because some of us might be saying to ourselves, well if, well, if Jesus really loves me, if God really loves me, why does my life look like this right now? Why am I going through what I'm going through right now? And so Paul asked this question. He said, what does it mean if we have trouble? If we have calamity, if, we, if we're persecuted, if we're hungry, if we're destitute, or if we're in danger, threatened with death, does that mean that God doesn't love us? You see what happens a lot of times in our hard times and our hardships, we feel like we are separated from God's love. We feel like God has abandoned us, God has left us. So Paul asked the question, can anything, can anything separate us? But what about hardships? I read an article this week, 
It was about a girl, and the article, the title of the article was, I was a hardcore Christian. This is how I lost my faith. And she goes on to tell a story about how, how she loved the Lord, loved church, all these things. She was a missionary. Uh, but what happened one day is, is she, she experienced some abuse in her life, some sexual abuse. That compounded with the fact that on her mission trip, she would go and she would see poor, she would see poor people. She would see poverty. She would see death. And, and she looked back and she reflected on all these things. And she said to us herself, she said, if God is real, if God is there, if God loves us, if God thinks so much about us, why are all of these bad things happening? Why did God allow this to happen to me? He's asking this question that Paul is asking. What can separate us? Well, what about death? What about calamity? What about, what about famine? What about persecution? Look at Paul's answer. Paul says no. He says no. He says despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And this is what we need to understand, friends. On the cross, Jesus bought the victory. On the cross, Jesus paid the price. Jesus bought the victory. And you're saying to yourself, well, what does that do for me right now? Let me explain it like this. I love hockey. I'm a big Bruins fan. So... Amen. 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 And uh, one thing about hockey, uh, I don't watch games live because it's just way too long. It's like two and a half hours. And so I record every single game and I watch it recorded. And the thing about when I watch the games recorded is that no matter what happens, I will not find out the score. Because if I find out the score, why would I watch the game? Right? I know how it ends. The reason I love hockey is because I love the suspense. I love the drama. I love the anxiety, especially in the playoffs. Like, my hands are sweating. <laughs> Christy's like, why aren't you sitting down? I'm like, I'm watching the game. But, <clears throat> but what I love about it excuse me, <clears throat> is that when we don't know the score, when we don't know how it ends, there's kind of that feeling of anxiety, right? And it's weird that we love that feeling, but we kind of do because it keeps it coming back, right? But if I know what the score is, if I know how it ends, I'm not going to watch the game because there's no excitement in it. Right? It's like, I know they win. If the other team scores, it doesn't really matter. I know they're going to win. God sent me today to tell someone and ask someone. He said, why are you living your life like you don't know the final score? That's what God sent me to ask someone. Why are you living your life like you don't know how this ends? You see, what Paul answers the question, he says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. What he is saying, he's saying, no matter what you go through today, no matter what you go through tomorrow, we know how this thing ends, and the victory is ours. He says, I am convinced that what we go through today, our present troubles, are nothing compared to the glory that we have in Christ Jesus. And so when I read this story about this girl and her hardships, my heart broke for her. But what I wanted to say to her is, it's not over. Your story's not done. Their story's not done. The victory's still ours. We have victory in Christ Jesus. Why are we living like we don't know the final score? I was talking to a girl yesterday, a few weeks ago, and she's kind of saying, like, I don't like reading Revelation. It's kind of scary. There's like beasts and, and dragons and all these things. And I said, guess what? Here's the good news. At the end, we win. <laughs> Jesus wins. That's how it ends. It's all good. Forget the rest. Nothing to be scared of. And so what God is saying to us today, I don't know what you're going through. But there's someone in this room, someone listening to these words, and you've been going through things, and you think that those hardships and those persecutions have separated you from God's love. What I want to say is surely not. Surely not. Can I get the band to come up here? We're going to sing one more song. The victory is ours through Christ Jesus. Jesus is who he says, who we, we are who he says we are. I am who he says I am. 
We're going to declare that song one more time because we need to believe it. We need to believe it. This lie is a bold-faced lie. I am not enough. You are more than enough. You are so much more. I want to read one more verse as we close. In verse 38, Paul finishes by saying this. He says, I am convinced. Paul's been through some things. Paul's been in jail. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beat. But he's like, after all, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Well, well, what about nothing? What about that one time? Nothing. Well, what about that time when I was nothing? Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell cannot separate us from God's love. Listen to this, somebody. Listen to the words that I'm saying. You are so valuable. You are so worth it. You are who God says you are, and nothing's going to stop that. I don't care what you do tomorrow. I don't care what you do next week. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing one more song. Hey, thanks for listening to the message. We hope that that was exactly what you needed to hear. If you want more information or have questions about anything, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. You will find everything that you need and so much more. If this message, if this ministry has inspired or made an impact on you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Your stories, your messages, they encourage us. You can do all of that through our website. Until next time, take care.